Good morning, church. If you're new, my name's Britt Merrick. Uh, good to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. My name's actually Travis, I'm not Britt. Uh, start out the sermon by lying to you guys, I feel terrible. We'll read the text, I'll pray, I'll ask for some forgiveness, um, we'll get into it. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1. How this message is going to be the assurance of Advent. This is God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. God, ask in the midst of Uh, what can be a crazy season of uh, going so many places and having so many things to do, I ask that you would give us uh, your peace, that you would give us presence of mind, that these next 30 minutes would be holy and set apart, that the rest of this service would be holy unto you. Uh, We need to hear from you. We want to hear your word. We want to hear the kind word that you have to speak to us. So God, please meet with us. Give us attention. Uh, I pray against the enemy and his schemes, what he would seek to do. I just ask that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, that people would go out if your burdens lift off their back, uh, that people would go out knowing that they are loved by you. Open our eyes to what your word says. Pray us all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Yeah, as I was saying, my name is Travis, uh, and I have the honor of serving as the youth minister here at Reality Cart. And so what that has meant kind of the last month has been a lot of Christmas parties, uh, planning for camps coming up. Super recently has been a lot of uh, Super Smash Brothers tournaments. Um, So uh, it's been a lot of fun. But in the last month, we also did what we'll occasionally do, which is like a QA and a night. Uh, so at a Q&A night question and answer, we'll have kids write down their questions they have about God and the Bible and life, uh, and then we'll seek to answer those questions from the Bible. So we get kind of a range of topics, and you can maybe imagine some of the things we get, uh, various inquiries about the state of animals in heaven. Uh, the, those are the landmine ones, just so you know, uh, to like, why does God love us? Uh, to random questions about the Bible. How many times does the word seven appear uh, in the Bible? I think kids just ask those questions to humble me. Um, But in the midst of doing that night, I had one girl uh, raise her hand and I called on her and she just looked at me and she asked this question. She said, if God was here in this room right now, what would you ask him for? And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I've been going hard for weeks now. 
right? Just nonstop, so many different things. Okay, I got to write, I got to write this sermon. I got to do this thing. I got to go to that person's house. I've been going so hard. And this question just kind of stopped me in my tracks. You ever have a moment where you realize, oh my goodness. And it slowed me down. And so I, some things started to run through my head. And of course, there's a few answers to that kind of question that come in. Like, I, I've been praying about some stuff recently and bringing the questions to God. And there's like some things I would love his answer about, like a really specific answer. I'm sure you have that. Uh, or maybe, maybe, man, would I ask for uh, like financial security? Would I ask for that? pops into my head, should I ask for more wishes? And then I realize it's God, not a genie. Um, but all these things are going through my head. But that question's just been spinning in my head for the last week. Um, and especially this time of year, it was this stunning juxtaposition of asking, is what I would ask for from God any different than I would, what I would ask for from Santa? Like, can I expect more of God than I'd expect of Santa? It also starts to ask these questions. Well, would he ever really come like this? And what if I did ask him for something? Like, would he, how would he respond to me? Would he really answer? Would God come? Now, Advent is a word that means coming or means arrival. And it's the term that the church has used uh, for thousands of years now to describe the few weeks in our calendar before Christmas to prepare our hearts so we don't miss out on the beauty and the meaning of what Christmas is. In Advent, this season is meant to be our assurance that God has spoken to us, that he has shown up, that his messenger is better than what we could have ever imagined and to let us know that he is with us. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is simple. It's just going to be under three headings. We're going to talk about the fact that God has spoken. Then we're going to look at God's messenger. And lastly, we're going to uh, hear what God's message is for us. So God has spoken. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, the letter of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians a few decades after Jesus has left the earth, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And it was written to these Christians whose, whose Savior has gone back into heaven to exhort them to encourage them, not to give up, not to miss out, to forget about the riches that they have in Christ. Don't go back to your old traditions because what you have in Jesus is better. That's what the entire letter to the Hebrews is about. And this morning, especially in this season, I don't want us to miss out on the riches we have in Christ. Like, I don't want us to miss Christ in the midst of Christmas. I want us to remember. I don't want us to, it just to be a thing about the traditions. I want us to enjoy those and treasure those in times with family. But I, how remiss would we be if we missed out on the true treasure of Christmas? So previously, the verse says that God spoke 
to the Hebrews by the prophets. And he did so in a variety of ways and at many different times. If you hear last week, you remember uh, the story of Abraham that we looked at. Uh, and if you weren't here, you probably heard of Father Abraham. He's a father of the faith. And Abraham, what happened with him is God showed up to him. God told Abraham, hey, go outside and you look up at the stars. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and God said, you start to count the stars. And so countless as they were, Abraham was going and just taking in all of the vast expanse of the sky. And God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And then later on, a son of Abraham named Jacob would be wandering and going to face his brother who he had a really had some bad blood with. Maybe that's you come this coming week. I hope not. God bless. Um, but Jacob was going and he's fearful of meeting with his family whom he has, he has some feud with. And so he just exhaustedly falls asleep at a place called Bethel, rests his head, and in his sleep, he has a dream from God. And in this dream, in the midst of just hoping that God will be with him, he sees, as it were, a ladder that runs from earth up to heaven. And he sees on this ladder angels going up and down the ladder. And God assures him, hey, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. The place you are right now, feeling the need for me, the veil between heaven and earth, it's thinner than you could imagine. I'm closer than you could imagine, Jacob. And maybe you know the story of Moses who's wandering through the desert and then he sees a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed by the fire. It's just burning without being consumed up. And out of the bush, God speaks And tells Moses, hey, I'm going to be with you. And he tells him of his plan to rescue his people out of the slavery of Egypt. And on and on and on the Old Testament stories go. Now, can we be straight about something? This is awesome. Like, I want this. I would love for God to speak to me like that. I I would love to hop in my car, drive out to Joshua Tree, where you can actually really see some stars, get in the middle of the desert, looking up and just have God show up. And like, I know, I know you guys. I, maybe I don't know you personally, but this is what I know. I know that I think all of us long to hear a personal word from God that just feels like it was spoken straight to us, that it was custom fit for us. We all have areas we are longing to hear from God. Now, we are a church who absolutely believe that God still speaks through his spirit today and guides us in a way that's always consistent with scripture. We absolutely believe that. We believe that because this book says that. So we absolutely believe that. And there have been a few times where I believe God has radically spoken to me by his spirit. And man, those are kind gifts of the father. But we're not guaranteed those. And we're not guaranteed the timing of those. And those were never meant to be the foundation of our faith. The writer of Hebrews looks to struggling Christians and says, hey, we've got something better. And this morning, I want to look to you and tell you in the midst of where you are, 
we have something more sure. Long ago, God spoken to our fathers by the prophets many times in many ways. Verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, the better, more sure thing we have is this, that God has spoken to us by his son. And we've heard these words before. We know the general meaning of Christmas, but I want this to seep down into our souls. Like, I want us to understand this in our bones and have it change all of the way that we think about God. God didn't appear to our fathers or our mothers, but to us. He didn't, he didn't do it by the prophets, but by his own son. And do you see who the son is in Hebrews? He is the heir of all things. That means that Christ will inherit every square inch of this universe. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking, well, this is the church time. And Jesus is like the religious solution, the church solution to some of my spiritual problems. Writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. He is the heir of all things. You, live, you leave this church and you go to work and you face your problems there. He is the Lord over that. You go, you go to your hard family situation that you have. He meets you there. He's not confined to one space. He's the heir of all things. Not only that, but he's the one through whom God created the world. He is the creator of heaven and earth and the heir of every square inch of this universe, realms both seen and unseen. God has spoken. He hasn't left us in the dark. He doesn't expect us to wait for some mysterious omen. He's spoken to us by his son. And the reason you're here this morning is because the sovereign God of the universe desired that you should be here and hear the news that he has come for you. That is why you're here this morning, that you would be reminded that Jesus came for you. God has spoken, and now let's look at his messenger. We've already said that the Son of God is the eternal creator of all things and the rightful heir to them. But there's more that the author of Hebrews has to say about Jesus. In verse two, he says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Have you ever wondered what God is really like? Like if someone asked you, hey, describe God to me, could you describe him like you're able to describe one of your friends? Just past kind of the jargon we sometimes use in church or whatever it is, could you describe what God is truly like? The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. This image brings to mind the picture of the sun, uh, in the same way that the sun shines, Jesus is the bright shining forth 
of all of the goodness and beauty and truth of God. He's like the ray of sunshine that proceeds from the Father. And as rays from the sun bring us warmth and light and life, so the Son of God brings God himself to us. Okay, let me try to get it this way. A little complicated thing, but I think you got it. We live in Carpinteria, or Oxnard, Ventura, Santa Barbara. Beautiful slice of the earth, right? Oh, remember those summer days, which somebody from the East Coast will probably be like, you have beautiful days right now. But remember those summer days where you go to the beach, and you're, you're at the beach, and there's this beautiful ball of light in the sky, and you just, you're there on the sand, and you just feel the rays of the sun hit your skin. Oh, and you just feel the warmth of it, and your endorphins are being released, and you get some vitamin D and whatever else is going on in there, and you're just happy. In that moment, you're experiencing, you're not simply experiencing like a ray of sunlight, you're experiencing the sun itself. From the right distance at the right time, you're experiencing the sun. Jesus Jesus, when we experience him, we're not just experiencing something kind of from the Father. We're experiencing the ray of sunshine, the radiance that comes from the Father himself. We're experiencing God himself because Jesus is God and he's the perfect, he's the radiance of the glory of God. Michael Reeves says this, that he, Jesus, he doesn't merely unveil some truth for us, some other principle or system of thought like light going out from its source, this word actually brings God to us. In him, a direct encounter with God happens. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. In Jesus, we have the fullest and most explicit picture of who God is and what he's like. The unending power of God that commands both demons and storms to be silent with a word are seen in him. The utter holiness of God that resisted every temptation is seen in Jesus. And this is who has spoken to us. The eternal, limitless, uncreated creator. You see, we've longed to hear from God like Abraham heard a voice as he looked up into the heavens. And we've hoped to be able to see the kind of ladder from heaven down to earth that Jacob saw. But in Jesus, we have the one who created the heavens and is their rightful heir. Look down and come for us. In Jesus, God himself descends the ladder from heaven to earth. And this knowledge that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, it means this for us. All of our fears that there is out there a sinister out to get us God. He's just watching your every movement and waiting for you to slip, who can't wait to drop the hammer 
all of those fears that God is just out to get us vanquish. Because as Michael Reeves said, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. You want to know what he's like? Look at Jesus. But we are so slow to actually believe this. We, we can hear nice stories, but we feel like that's just a nice story. God, is God, do we really believe God is that kind and caring to us? And what I want to tell you, church, is that the way Jesus tenderly cared for the sick and the hurting and sinners on earth is the way that he still deals with them today. The kind of compassion you see throughout the Gospels is the same kind of compassion he has for us today. Like, time would fail me to tell you of all the stories of Jesus and how he interacted with hurting people. But, okay, think of this one. In Luke 7, in Luke 7, Jesus is eating with a bunch of religious leaders. Uh, And these are well-to-do people. They haven't screwed up their lives. They're doing pretty well. He's not in some kind of seedy establishment, but he's eating with these people. And in the midst of eating with all these religious leaders uh, who are men, in walks a woman of the city. Now, just so we're on the same page, this isn't like a well-to-do metropolitan woman. That's not what the scripture is trying to say. Uh, it's, It's evoking, this woman was probably a prostitute. So into this nice religious home walks in this prostitute and she goes over to Jesus and she just starts weeping at his feet. And she takes her perfume, which she likely used a lot for her profession, and she just pours all of her wealth, all that she has in this world, she just pours it on Jesus' feet. And Weeping on him, she just takes her hair and tries to wipe up her tears with her hair. And seeing this, the religious leaders are all thinking to themselves, if, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let her touch him like this. And one guy in particular was thinking that if he knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And I think some of us, we think that same exact thing about ourselves. If, if God really knew who I was, if God really, or maybe you, you know God knows, he sees who I am. Do you know the things I've done? God doesn't want to be near to me. Do you, mean, do you know how many times I've recommitted my life to the Lord? How many times I've heard about grace and went back to the same old things? And Simon thinking, if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch, he wouldn't let him touch her. (laughs) Says this, Jesus looks at him and says, perceiving his thoughts, Jesus in his omniscience, knowing everything, uses his all-knowing not to condemn the woman and say, I know what you did, get away from me. But he turns to the person who thinks that she should, shouldn't draw near to Jesus. And he says this, hey, Simon, let me, let me tell you a story and ask you a question. Uh, two men owe a certain debt to the same debtor. The first, uh, the first guy owes $3 million. Second person 
owes $3,000. Now, suppose the person they owe the money to says, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debts. You don't have to pay me back. I'm going to absorb the loss. Who, who do you think is going to be more grateful for having their debts forgiven? Simon says, well, obviously the person that had the $3 million debt forgiven. And Jesus looks at him. And he says, Simon, I came into your house and you didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Signs of hospitality. But this woman, since she entered the room, she hasn't stopped weeping at my feet. She hasn't stopped trying to clean my feet with her tears and her hair. He who is forgiven little loves little. But he who is forgiven much loves much. That's who God is. Contrary to all of our conceptions of how God would be out to get us and how he would see how much we've blown it and how much we should stay away from, Jesus draws near to sinners. He says, those whom I forgive much, oh, they're going to love me much. That's the kind of God that we have. But it's not only a couple of encounters with hurting people back then. It's not like we're supposed to look at those stories and I guess that's a little bit of what God was like to a couple people. But Christ has definitively loved us and he has given us a message. Hebrews 1.3 says this, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So God's message contained within this is not simply that he wants to give you he wants to give you a gift if you've been good enough. That's not God's message. Or, or even if you haven't been good enough, maybe he'll just wink at you and give you a little gift so you can love him back. That's not the message that God has for you. The message of God is this. He would say, I came for you. I love you. And I, I have always loved you. And I know all the things you want to hide from me. I know the fears of inadequacy you have. I would say, I crossed the cosmos for you. I went down the ladder from heaven and I humbled myself, even to the point of death on a cross. The work is finished, so come to me. All your darkness you want to hide, he knows it. All the ways you feel weak and helpless. Oh, if you, if you think that God wants to have compassion on you, I want to encourage you, go home and open up to the Gospels and read of how Jesus over and over again meets people who are weak and helpless. People who can't heal themselves of their own diseases. People who have been pushed to the outskirts of society. Over and over again, he shows his compassion in his care, in the purification you feel like you need to come before a holy God, he made it. He died for you. The cross is the assurance that he didn't only have a few fleeting moments of tenderness here on the earth, but he loved us to the uttermost, to the end. And not only that, but he rose from the dead. And all who trust in him, they will rise from death with him. 
So your sins have been paid for. The work is done. The Savior's arms are open. Come to him. That is what Christmas says. Come to me. I've done it. I've done it. I haven't left you in your darkness. I know. I know all the things you want to hide from me. I knew everything you would do and still I came for you. I loved you before the foundations of the earth. I've always loved you. You ever wonder, I was thinking about this phrase, that he loved us before the foundations of the earth. Um, and I find myself with my wife, Deb, um, and I'll probably say something that's going to make me look really good. So I just want to remind you that I was the guy who listed great things I was going on in life, and I put them in the order of LeBron James being a Laker, the Dodgers in the World Series, and lastly, that I just got married. So, uh, so I'm not all-star husband, but I was thinking about, um, I want, (laughs) there's times where I'm with Deb and I just like want to tell her I love her. And there's this impulse in me to say, I love you, babe. I have always loved you. Now I didn't know Deb until later on in my twenties. How have I always loved her? How have I always had, I think there's something written on our hearts. That's a longing to hear and to know that we have always been loved. But that can only be found in God. And that's the message he has for us. I love you. I've always loved you. Okay, so we've got two days till Christmas. So what do do we do with this stuff before us? Uh, First, I want... uh, I want to talk to those of us who are, who are facing some really hard times right now. Like facing loneliness and hurting. You're not, you're not going to turn on the television and see commercials about that, right? You're going to see 20-something couples giving each other Mercedes for Christmas. Like, <laughs> um, but the reality of it is if we, we live in a fallen world. And man, sometimes things are really hard. And sometimes we don't have the kind of relationships that we long for. And things with other people are broken. Long-awaited gifts we hope for haven't yet come. And Christmas speaks into the midst of that. And it's the assurance that Christ came to be with us in the middle of our pain. God's not the kind of doctor who wants to see us after we've gotten better or after we're not hurting. He comes to us and he meets us in the midst of where we are. And you have a God who knows what it's like to be lonely, who knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend, to have a loss of a friendship. And his nearness is especially for you right now. He loves you Christmas is the message. He came for you. Not just so you could always be happy, but in the midst of sorrow, you could have real joy that God has come for you. He's near. The light has shone in the darkness, and it shines still. Not everything's made new yet, but he's coming back for us. And hold on to that. Uh, And I want to, I want to talk for a second to parents. 
Um, and I want to encourage you in this way. Teach your children that Santa can't compete with Jesus. Okay? Like, I was talking about this with Bo uh, this week. Like, Santa is the sum total of legalism. That is like earning your way with God. What do you, what do you have with Santa? You have this. If you do good enough and don't cry, how's that for emotional health? <laughs> then, then you'll get what you need, or you'll get what you want. Not even what you need, whatever you ask him for, you'll get it. If you're good enough and don't cry. Okay, so are we teaching them why it's better to have Jesus? Now, consider this from the kid's perspective. And I think from a kid's perspective, we learn something about maybe the way we think ourselves sometimes. But from a kid's perspective, here's Santa. And I can go and I can see him. And I can go to the mall, can sit on his lap, and I can ask him for what I want. And if I perform well enough, then I'll get it. That sounds like a decent deal to a kid. And then you have Jesus, who in a kid's perspective, I can't see. And he's not here on the earth right now, but he's in heaven. And he's been gone for a while. Okay, so how are we going to teach our kids in the midst of them seeing things that way, that Jesus, Jesus blows Santa out of the water? Well, uh, I think we need to teach our kids that it's actually better that Jesus went to heaven and sent his spirit to be with us. Jesus himself said that. He said, I can't, it's better that I leave and send my spirit. Do you know why we can do something like, let's read through the Bible in a year and it can be a good thing? You want to know why? Because God's spirit lives in those who have been regenerated by him, who have trusted in him. And so now everyone can experience communion with God as they read his word. It's not just confined to the one person who could be with Jesus on earth at a time, but all of God's people can have communion with God. That's phenomenal. And it's, it's amazing that Jesus isn't seen today because Jesus said that in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, the apostle Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit says this, we are Christ's ambassadors. That the reason Jesus isn't here right now is because you are going to be the picture of what a loving, forgiving, gracious God is like to earth who needs to know him. That's unbelievable that God's going to make us those kinds of people, that we are his ambassadors. And lastly, like he has been gone for a while now, but if you look at the words of Peter in 2 Peter 3, he says this, God isn't slow as some count slowness. He's not slow in returning to earth, but it is God's patience that keeps him from coming back, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason we don't yet see Jesus is because of his long-suffering, loving kindness that wishes to draw to himself all people. And lastly, I want to encourage, really concretely, I don't have kids, um, 
so I don't know how hard or difficult this might be. I teach middle school uh, every week, so I know the kind of squirminess. I know the kind of like random thoughts that come up and different things that happen. But I want to encourage you to do this. Tomorrow night, Christmas Eve, sit down your kid, sit your kids down, and they might squirm and they might climb on the chair. Whatever happens, it happens. Ask for God's help and open up to Luke 2. And, and you read them the story of Jesus coming into the world. And then you look your kids in the eyes and you tell them, hey, this is why I love Jesus. Man, he, he saved your dad. He saved your mom. He forgave. I, I had made so many mistakes and God found me and loved me. Let's show our kids the love that we have for Jesus because of how he's met us. Lastly, for all of us, is this thrilling your heart? Man, is, is the fact that God left the heavens and came down to the earth, is that, is that doing something in you that there is to our awe and wonder no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus? That God, God is so unexpectedly kind and gracious. That God himself has come for us. Uh, throughout, throughout the years since Christ has come, we, we've been trying as humans to use the arts to just stretch the confines of music and of poetry and of words to be able to describe how amazing it is that Christ came. And so you have, uh, you have Messiah and you have amazing hymns like we've saying that still have their words still ring true, like in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, and so the way I want to close us uh, out today is I want to read us some poetry. Some of you guys are into that, some of you aren't. That's okay. But in this, you're going to hear some beauty of the fact that Christ came for us. And I want us to contemplate it contemplate it, and I want it to lead us to exaltation of Christ, of singing to him, of having joy in our hearts because he actually came to us. So hear these words. Lift up your eyes and see the riches of the all-sufficient king seated on his throne in glory. See his scepter that stretches the expanse of unmeasured space. Hear him who holds all things together declare, all things are mine without exception. See the curiosity of the cosmos as Christ condescends to his most cherished creatures. See the astonishment of angels as the Almighty advances towards earth. See the humility of the pre-existent king born of a virgin birth. The infinite becomes infant. The maker becomes man. The divine becomes despised. And the Christ is crucified. The author of all creation cursed upon the tree that he himself spoke into being. And the Lord of life was laid in the tomb. But the grave could not contain him. And so the son of man was raised to life. But why? To draw near to pierce our greatest fear, 
to shed satisfying blood on our behalf, to give back the life we were meant to have, to enjoy, to hear, to adore, to taste, and to look with peace upon our Savior's face and to embrace him with an undying faith, to interpose all his worthiness into us and serve the most unworthy and undeserving. He is our God, and we are mere men made by him. We are not like him, but he loves us and moves among us. The great uncreated and the created, no longer separated. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord, it feels like almost too much for us to believe that the pre-existent king would be born of a virgin, that the infinite would become an infant. But Jesus, you came into this world, the world that is yours to inherit, the world that you created, and you did it out of love. So Jesus, as we enter into this time of worship, would we sing to you, would we adore you, would we sit at your feet like the woman of the city sat at your feet because we have been forgiven much, would we love you much? Would we be your ambassadors? Christ, thank you that your heart towards sinners on earth is the same as it was when you walk the earth, now that you're in heaven, you still love us in the same way. We can't wait until we see you again. Until then, we'll sing to you and we'll tell all we know about you. In Jesus' name, amen.